We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indiana, home of Pacers basketball. Miller for three, and he got it. Legends have been born. Miller retreats to the three-point line and hits again. Memories have been made. Caliburn, a deep three for the lead. And baby! Great basketball has been played. Nembhard away. Hits the three and the Wazzaro In 49 states. It's just basketball. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and But this, this is Indiana. And you're listening to Setting the Pace. Let's go! Your go-to Pacers podcast. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. We got paces hooping. Let's talk stats. Hot takes. All fast. New topics. Updates. Three pointers. Fast breaks. We keep scoring. We don't need to stop. New episodes. Weekly drops. This your number one podcast. Hooping every team. We gon' need a mop. Setting like pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. All right, everybody, joining us now on Setting the Pace, it is the general manager of the Indiana Pacers. It is Chad Buchanan. Chad, thanks so much for joining. How are we doing? I'm doing good. How about you guys? Doing great. Yeah, we're, we are now. doing good, and it's it's been a lot of buzz here in Indianapolis recently as the All-Star Weekend was just here. And I just wanted to ask you about this amazing weekend that was for the city and for the Pacers and everything. And how the team just represented Indianapolis so well. I just wanted to get your thoughts on the overall All-Star Weekend. Yeah, this doesn't happen very often. I mean, as evident by the last time I was here, it was, you know, decades ago. So uh, when it does, you know, present the opportunity to to host the NBA and the basketball, pro basketball community and showcase, you know, the Pacers and our city and our state to the world, it's a great opportunity. I really feel like, you know, our organization, our ownership, um, all of our staff, and the fans especially really put their best foot forward and made a great showing for, for the weekend and had a lot of great feedback from you know players and other executives and media and agents about our city and what, you know, basketball means to this community and this state. And they could feel it when they were here. I know mother nature tried to rain on the parade a little bit, but uh, that didn't stop our fans and the enthusiasm for the event. Uh, we had great attendance at 
every event um, that was offered and um, really, really a lot of pride coming from our organization uh, as to how the weekend went. And I know it means a lot to our owner, our owner, Mr. Simon, his family, and to showcase, you know, the Pacers to the world was, was a great opportunity. I think it was a, a phenomenally fantastic weekend for us. And the Pacers were racking up awards on the court. I felt that, it, like Alex said, I mean, just a great representation by the players in each, you know, skills challenge, you know, the the everything you can think of. I mean, Halliburton nearly winning MVP. It was awesome. But one thing that I personally loved was how the Pacers honored their legends of the past. How important was it for the franchise to do that? It felt like my whole childhood, you know, was on that stage. Sure. We had an event uh, reception for all of our alumni on um, Thursday night, it would have been. And just getting to meet, you know, I hadn't met a lot of those guys before. You know, I wasn't here when they were playing and um, they'd retired by the time I got here. So this was my first opportunity to meet some of those guys. And, you know, just their their feeling of affection towards the Pacers. And like I said, the, the community in the city is still there. And to have them back all in one spot and to see them interact with each other. Some of them hadn't seen each other for, for a while. And to see them reconnect was really special um, moment for, for everybody. And to have them recognized, you know, on All-Star Night during the game was super cool. Um, putting them all up on stage there and recognizing each guy was really a lot of pride for for this for this organization. And um, it was just great seeing all those guys back. Some of them looked like they could still play. Um, they looked like they're in great shape. So um, we got one roster spot. I joked with a couple of them. I said, no, well, we got your number in case we need you for a 10-day. Um, so I think some of them would, would jump at that opportunity again. Yeah, I remember last time we talked, we had – Talked about putting me on that 10-day list. I know I was on, like, page 88, but uh, with all these alumni coming back, I might be on page 91 at this point. So Yeah, you, dro you dropped a few notches, Alex, I need that money, though, Chad. You're killing me over here. <laughs> uh, uh, but speaking of All-Star Weekend, obviously some really cool moments. We saw Tyrese Halliburton hit five threes in a row to really start the game on All -Star, on the All-Star game. And then I don't know how you felt about it, but it was really fun to see Ben Mather and kind of show uh, shine in the rising uh, rising stars game. And I loved the back and forth that he had with Jaden Ivy. I know you've talked about in the summer league, you know, how Mather kind of has that dog in him it is what he did with Ivy, like kind of just having fun with the little trash talk there. Is that kind of who he is? I think there's certain moments and certain matchups that bring that side out in him. You know, I think it's all good natured. I mean, he has a lot of respect for Jaden as a player and obviously there's competitiveness between both guys, both ways. Um, I think it's all good nature, but you get them in a competitive environment with, you know, the whole world watching and there's a different side that comes out in any competitor. And you saw that with Benedict that night. And um, I think he was anxious to show, you know, what he could do on that stage with all those other great young talent, great young players in our league. And um, I know the cameras caught interaction there with Jaden, but I know there's mutual respect, you know, on both sides. And it was just kind of a fun, loving moment in the, in the caught up in the heat of the game that probably got magnified a little more than it probably should have. Yeah, Chad, you got quite a few seasons with the Pacers underneath your belt, but this year it just feels different. It feels like this season has had just like so many, you know, high moments, uh, but from, from training camp till now, I mean, what's some of that that progress that you've seen from this Pacers team that's really stood out, that's got you very excited about the outlook of this team in the future? Yeah, from the start of the season to now, obviously our, our roster looks a little different. Um, our team is, you know, playing a little different because of some of the roster moves. But um, we see involvement, especially, you know, our defense has continued to make little strides here and there, which was important to us. Obviously, it was not our strength early in the year. And 
it's still not a strength of ours, but we're trying to make it, you know, to a level where we can be, you know, competitive in a playoff setting. And that's, that just takes a little time, a little chemistry with guys. Uh, so we're seeing some progress there, which was good. We're seeing progress from individual players. I think you see Aaron Neesmith, Jalen Smith, you know, those guys in particular really had good seasons up to this point and seeing them kind of taking the next step in their evolution as players. Obviously Tyrese has taken another jump and, you know, integrating some you know new players, especially when we integrate a, a big piece like Pascal, that, that takes a little bit of adjustment because you kind of rock the boat a little bit with that. And, you know, obviously Buddy's not here now, so you've taken a, another piece of offensive weapon off the team. So it's it's been a little jolt to the system, I think, for our guys, and it's going to take a little time for them to adapt. And But I'm pretty confident, you know, with, with our coaches and, you know, our players that they want to make it work. And, you know, we've hit a little bumpy spot here coming into the All-Star break. I think our guys were a little tired, you know, like everybody across the league is, but I think we needed a break, and hopefully we come out of this break recharged and, and ready to go these last 26 games. Yeah, I mean, it definitely does. Like, there was a lot of roster movement from the beginning of the season to now with just guys you've traded and had to kind of bring in some different players as well via trade. So, I mean, it, it does make sense why there has been some up and down this. And, and of course, Tyrese Halliburton sh- coming back from the hamstring, hamstring injury does play a factor in that. But, you know, the Buddy Heel trade, I'm kind of curious because you guys do trade Buddy on the trade deadline day. There have been questions you know, all season long, like, is there an extension going to get done? Is he going to end up, you know, getting moved? And so he eventually gets moved. But, you know, was there ever a a trade potentially maybe earlier in the season that was there that you guys just didn't want to end up moving him because you felt like we have a good thing going here and didn't kind of want to upset the fruit basket? And then when push comes to shove at the trade deadline day, you decide, okay, now is the best time to move him. I think, you know, at the beginning of the season, our goal was to, to keep Buddy. And we'd had talks with, you know, his representation about, you know, contract, you know, extension with him. And that was our goal. I think that was his goal as well. Sometimes the business of basketball doesn't always, the stars don't always align. Um, so we, you know, we played that out. And, you know, as we got to the point where I think we knew where, how Buddy felt and, you know, where things were at with his contract situation and, you know, looking forward, it, it became clear that it's probably best, you know, to try to find, you know, a trading partner for him. It was it's, it's a hit to our team, obviously, because of his shooting and what he brings to our spacing for everybody else on the floor. But, um, you know, we had to weigh: do we, you know, do we do we keep this group together and see what it can do, or do we prepare ourselves for maybe the inevitable uh, at the end of the season? And that's that's tough decisions. That's you know, Buddy's such a, a great guy. Who's a you know his spirit and his personality or big part of our locker room but you know sometimes like i said yeah, you got to make tough decisions along the way when you're trying to build a roster and um when the business of basketball comes into play it causes you to have to do some things that are you know maybe not ideal for your team but are best for you you know hopefully in the long run yeah when you talk about it you know a tough decision i mean th- this season's had quite a few of those and one of those was that decision to kind of push the chips in a bit more and go after Pascal Siakam. Could you perhaps give us like a behind the scenes uh, view of like, just when did those initial conversations start compared to when they finished? I would say the initial conversation could date back to about 18 months. Um, The trade deadline a year ago, um, we, you know, we tried to express some interest and, try to find, you know, a way to trade from them. They, Toronto wanted to keep him. Obviously, he's a great player and was not one to move him. Those carried on into the summer a little, little bit. Um, they still, you know, were wanting to hang on to him, but they knew how we felt about him. So he's a guy that we we have chased for a little bit here. Um, you know, it just took a little patience for, you know, their, them to be willing to 
really just got to be serious about moving him. You know, obviously he's, like I said, he's a foundational player. He helped them win a championship and he has been with him his entire career. So that's a hard player for any organization to want to, you know, move on from. And he's a terrific player still and a terrific person. So he's a player that we felt fit our culture, fit us positionally, fit us how we play. Um, his skill set complements our best player. There were just a lot of boxes that were checked with him that we felt were, you know, this makes the guy a really prime target for us if he ever became available. And, you know, once he became available, it's hard for us to go get a high, high level free agent. Uh, so we got to try to trade for those guys or draft and develop them. So here's one that became available and an opportunity for us. And we felt like we wanted to be aggressive. And like you mentioned, Michael, putting in a lot of chips, you know, we put in a lot of draft capital. Um, we put in, you know, a couple of players that were, you know, Bruce and Jordan, you know, had value in themselves for us. But we wanted to be aggressive. It was time, you know, to see, can we, could we elevate this group a little bit and, you know, open up our window moving forward with, with this group and adding a player of his caliber is it's hard for us to do. And um, when those guys become available, usually there's eight to 10 teams that are lined up to get them. And, you know, there's other teams, if you're throwing a, a draft capital package at a team, there's quite frankly, there's other teams out there that can beat us because of the, the draft capital they have stored up in their chest. So it takes a lot of stars to be aligned to have you be in position to get a, a player of his caliber. And um, it felt like this was the time for us to pounce and, Really glad we did because I think he's a he's turned out to be a terrific piece for us, and I think you'll see him get more and more acclimated, and more and more comfortable with our group uh, as, as the season comes down the stretch. Yeah, I will say that the front office did listen to the fan base about getting a four because before the draft, you guys had zero power forwards, and now you guys have three in kind of a log gym there. So it is, uh, it's it's a it's a good problem to have considering everything that this team has needed in terms of size in the front court. But you get a guy like Pascal Siakam who can really help move the needle for this team a little bit. But I'm, I'm kind of curious because you talked to us, I think, uh, in the summer about how free agency is not being as impactful as it once was. And you're going to see more teams use those cap space opportunities to make trades like you guys did. Did you guys view this Pascal Siakam trade as basically your free agent signing for this summer? That's a great way to look at it, Alex, because as, as you look into this summer, we would have had decisions to make on, if we had kept the team together, you'd have decisions to make on several key guys in our rotation. And this was a chance to be, you know, proactive and adding a player now that gives you a chance to, you know, our intention is to hopefully to optimistic. We'll able to keep Pascal moving forward. Um, but, you know, it's, it's being proactive when you have an opportunity, like I mentioned before, to pounce on a guy who's, who's available and you have a package that the other team, you know, you know, likes that you can go get. And then, you know, so many guys are signing extensions now and, you know, guys are, they're just hard to get as free agents anymore. Um, like I've mentioned before, and this was being preemptive and trying to land a guy that we feel can be a big piece of what we're doing moving forward. And um, that's why we did it. You know, I think the fan base always likes to feel that, uh, you know, they're very opinionated, you know, Hey, we want to grab this guy, but we don't want to give up this guy. But I felt that the the front office was very adamant that they did not want to include some of their young players, such as a Benedict Mather and Andrew Nembhard, a Jarris Walker, just to name a few, in this deal. And I think the fan base completely agreed with it. We were very happy by that. But how important was it to the front office to hold strong on that front that those players would not be included in that deal? Yeah, that was a very important you know factor in in the talks. You know, Jarris and Ben drew. You know, those three guys are, are young guys that we've drafted, that we've believed in, 
and not ready to, you know, turn the page on those guys yet. Those are guys that are, their futures are way out in front of them still. And, you know, we, we want to continue developing those three guys and see where they can get because, you know, those guys are all, like I mentioned, they're still young developing players that five, six, seven years down the road, that's when they'll be in their prime. And, you know, who, who knows, like maybe one of those guys or multiple of those guys can turn into high, high level players that, you know, like we're trying to go trade for right now with Pascal. And um, it was important for us to hang on to our young talent. We'd gone through a lot to, you know, get those guys and went through a lot of losing to get those couple of those guys. So, um, you know, I think we still believe in, in that those young players and want to continue to develop them and see them, see them grow here as facers. Yeah, and this is kind of looking a little bit into the future just for this summer, but obviously the, the goal is to re-sign Pascal Siakam. And while we don't know what that number is, uh, just kind of using his cap hold numbers, like, yeah, it's it's going to make this team an over-the-cap team. So what exactly does that mean in terms of what kind of moves you guys can make if you are a team that is functioning over the cap? Yeah, I mean, there's certain restrictions when, you, when you're over the cap, and, you know, it, it, it's going to force us to make some decisions on some players that, you know, we'd like to bring back that maybe we're not going to be able to, depending on the price tag for those guys. But, um, you know, every team has a budget they work under, at least most teams do. Um, and so we've got to be conscious of that. And, you know, when the time is right uh, to really, really put our chips in, you know, I think, you know, we'll have to, you know, talk with talk with ownership to make sure that they're on board with that. But we're very going to be we're going to be conscious of, of the budget and being smart and, you know, how we build this thing. But, you know, you know, we will be functioning under a different situation than we were last year with a lot of cap room. And um, but there are there are ways to still build your team. And we're confident we can still do it that way. You know, talking about having to be really smart with your cap space and everything, one of the players that you did make a commitment to, you know, just prior to this, uh, you know, regular season start was Aaron E. Smith. And I think that that contract now is looking like just uh, an unbelievable bargain for the Pacers. Can you talk about that commitment that was made to Aaron and just how you've seen his game blossom this season? Yeah, he's been a fantastic story, you know, for our team and, He's just a, he's a terrific guy, number one. He's the guy that's easy to root for. Um, he comes in every day. And what you see when you watch us, you know, playing Game Bridge Fieldhouse is what you see when you watch practice every day or you watch him in the weight room or you watch him in a workout. He just attacks everything with a tenacity and an intensity that is just, it's hard to it's hard to replicate. And that's the type of pieces that you need around superstar players that are guys that are willing to do all the, the hard, you know, nitty-gritty dirty work and they don't care about the credit and Aaron is that way Aaron has worked quietly you know behind the scenes on his game he's turned into you know a very very solid defender a very physical player um, a guy who embraces you know doing stuff that other guys don't want to do some nights and he does it every single night now there's nights where he just doesn't have it that's the case with every player in the NBA but you can never say he's not bringing 100% intensity and um, that is a huge, huge component to an 82-game season is having a guy that's willing to play with that much force and energy. And to, you know, see him get rewarded, you know, this offseason, we, we knew we wanted him long-term. We'd have loved to sign him to a 10-year contract if he had taken it or been, we'd been allowed to. Um, that's how strongly we felt about him. And he's proven to be, you know, very, very valuable for us. And he's just growing you know, every every month for us, it feels like. And um, we wouldn't be where we're at today without Aaron e. Smith. Yeah, I mean, every time I talk to people about the Pacers, just in, in general, they always say, I love that Neesmith guy. He plays so hard. And 
Uh, that's what Indiana basketball is all about. So I, I love Aaron Neesmith as well. But uh, I wanted to go back a little bit to the, the trade deadline. And be, besides the moves, obviously, we're trading Buddy Hill and getting Doug McDermott. You guys made a move with the Golden State Warriors to acquire Corey Joseph, and they paid you guys quite a bit of money in cash considerations. Uh, I think sometimes cash considerations can be a little bit confusing for people, and I think we had this conversation in the summer. But just to kind of refresh people, when when the Warriors send you uh, a heavy amount of cash to kind of take on a Corey Joseph-like player on the roster with that spot being open, what can you guys do with that cash moving forward? Well, there's, you know, different things. Obviously, we had three second-round picks in this draft going into the trade deadline, and um, none of those three were shaping up to be great picks. You know, they were trending towards to be very, very latter end of the second round, um, and we didn't really have the roster space to want to draft three guys in the second round. So we were open to doing something with one of those picks, and when you take in, you know, cash, there's, there's rules that, uh, regarding how much you can take in, how much you can give out, but um, when you take in cash, that opens up you know, windows to do other things like maybe on draft night, you want to buy a pick higher in the second round. It gives you some flexibility to do that. It gives you opportunities to do things within your own operations, um, you know, that, that help a small market team. Um, you know, there's just, there's different ways that, you know, an influx of, of money like that can, can help an organization. But um, really it was done with the intention of, you know, we're not going to use these three second round picks. Um, you know, here's a great, you know, financial opportunity for our organization that puts us in position to do some other things down the road or right now. And uh, we felt like it was the right to, right thing to do at the moment. And um, so we proceeded with it. And obviously we waived Corey. Um, he was just part of the, the, the transaction to make it work for it. It helped Golden State reduce their tax bill pretty significantly. So it was a benefit to them as well. That's why they were willing to to give us cash to, you know, reduce their their tax bill. You know, Indiana has enjoyed uh, flexibility, I would say, over the last few years. And one of the pieces of flexibility is an open roster spot. How do you envision the Pacers perhaps, you know, utilizing this open roster spot for the rest of the season? Yeah, it's different different ways we can use it. You know, we can, you know, wait and see if there's a buyout player that makes sense for us. Um, you know, we're always scouting the world for players. You know, we have an extensive scouting staff that – works their butt off year round, looking at players from all corners of the globe. Um, and so we're always looking for, is there a guy, maybe he's in the United States, maybe he's in the G League, maybe he's playing in Australia, maybe he's in Europe, um, that makes sense to try to bring over. And we've talked about players in, that kind of fit into that boat. We've talked about, you know, doing 10-day contracts for, you know, players that are in the G League. We've talked about, you know, converting a two-way player. You have a lot of different avenues to use that roster spot. Um, and, you know, we're going to continue to evaluate what's best for us. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you're going to find a player that's going to step in and write in your rotation and, and help you. Um, that's very, very rare other than a potential buyout player. But we're in no rush to do anything right now with that. But we are looking at several different paths to, to do something with that spot. Yeah, and, and this is going to sound like a dumb question. Just I'm just very ignorant on the on the uh, the situation and how it works. But with going after G League players, obviously, I, I'm assuming players on two way deals that are on their on their current two way deal with the team, they can't be signed by another team. But anybody in the G League, I'm assuming, is free game if you wanted to give them a contract. That's correct. Another team that's has a player on a two way is you know we can't go go grab those guys. But anybody who's not under a two way, just under a standard G League contract, is eligible to be you know, signed to a 10-day or to a standard NBA contract. Or if we had a two-way contract, 
uh, available, which we don't, you know, you could go sign a player to a two-way contract as well. So, okay. um, yeah. You know, a little bit of, um, you know, talking about, you know, a roster spot and kind of bringing this player back and forth. Can you talk about the importance of bringing back James Johnson time and time again? Because I feel like the art of a true veteran, it's become lost in this league. A stat sheet could never measure his contribution to this team. But that is someone that over the last two years, anytime you think maybe his time as a pacer has come to an end, he comes right back. And I love it. Yeah, we, we, he's been a staple for us. And, you know, I, I've come to really appreciate over the years the value of that that role in, in your locker room. And it doesn't have to be a guy who ever really steps foot on the court unless it's an emergency situation. Uh, but they can still have a, a big impact on your team. And we, we noticed that, you know, we've had a couple games here where James has been sick or, you know, we had the situation where we had to wait for him to clear waivers and he's not around. And you, you feel that missing presence when he's not around because he's kind of the big brother to everybody. And he's got a good, you know, steady voice. Um, you know, he's very firm, but very strong and, but also knows when to put his arm around a young player. And, you know, just the fact you go to a Mad Ants game, uh, you know, a random Mad Ants game, there's probably a decent chance he's sitting along the baseline supporting the Mad Ants players. You know, he he's really invested himself into the organization, not just being a, on, on the team, but knowing exactly what his role is. He's never, ever, ever once complained about not playing. He's never, ever once complained about shots. He's never, ever once complained about, you know, who he's sitting by in the plane. Like, he is invested in whatever you need him to do. And, you know, Coach Carlisle and our coaching staff, and him are just tied at the hip. And, you know, Coach Coach Carlisle trusts James, uh, his voice, what he says, when he says it. He knows how to, to deliver messages to the locker room, to individual players, to a group of players, uh, to the staff. And he's really just embraced this role. And it's, it's really cool to see because the ego of the average NBA player is not going to accept what we're asking James to do. And it's very rare to find a guy that's willing to do what he's doing for us. And we were just really fortunate to have him. No doubt about that. And I think it was reported somewhere that he said he wouldn't go to any other team, but the Pacers. So that's, that's a really cool relationship that he has too. But uh, speaking of relationships, I did see a picture of Pascal Siakam in the locker room and his locker in, in Gamebridge Fieldhouse is right next to Jairus Walker's. And so I'm just kind of curious, what was that intentional, obviously to, to have those two connect a little bit more since that is, uh, your rookie that you drafted playing the same position, and, and then what kind of relationship do those two guys have right now? Well, I think the locker situation was just a project product of either Jordan or Bruce was next to Jairus before. I, I, I don't remember off the top of my head, so it just happened to be the open locker. Uh, but we liked the the situation of having him next to Jairus because, um, you know, Pascal came into the league kind of a raw young talent who went through sometimes, you know, not playing, playing in the G League. And we really felt like he could, you know, you know, give Jarrah some advice, uh, some input on what he was going through as a young player. But, um, you know, Pascal in, in general is, is a guy who commanded respect from everybody the second he walked into that locker room. And, you know, Jarrah is one of the young players that he's had a chance to talk to about his experiences. And um, but our guys all kind of gravitate to, to his experience. You know, he's has a ring. You know, he's won a championship. He's been with a good organization. He's had. He's been the All Star Game. He's been All NBA. So he he comes in 
with a status and but he doesn't carry himself like he's owed anything he comes into work every day um he plays hard every minute he's on the floor and so it's gained instant respect by everybody you know from players you know coaching staff our support staff in general have really been you know impressed with what he's displayed with us um super happy he's with us super happy he's with us Oh, so is the fan base. It's It's been an awesome addition. I think the best ball with Pascal Siakam and this team is ahead. But, you know, sticking on one of the players that Alex mentioned, you know, Jairus Walker, what's some of the improvements that you've seen from Jairus from, say, you know, draft evaluation to today? Because obviously he's got a very bright future in this league, and we're happy it's still with the Indiana Pacers, obviously, you know, surviving the trade deadline, everything we talked about before. Yeah, I think when we drafted him, you know, some of the things that really attracted us to him were, you know, the position he played, uh, the defensive versatility he brought, uh, um, you know, his passing skills. And then, you know, what we've seen so far of him is he's turned into a, a pretty consistent, you know, shooter, NBA three-point shooter, which we thought might take a little time for him to adapt to, to that, but he's adjusted quickly to that. And, you know, I think as, as a young player, you're drafted where he was drafted, you you have hopes and expectations of where things are going to go right away to start your NBA career. And that doesn't always line up with what reality is. And, you know, we had a, a, a team that had depth at his position. And so he's going through some growing pains of learning to, you know, you know, he's got, a, he's playing, you know, games in the G league. He's had some big games. He's had some other games where, you know, I, I don't think he's played probably where he, he'd like to play as well as he'd hope to play, but, He's had a really good stretch coming into the All-Star break. Um, he was with our the Mad Ants out on a West Coast road trip and really showed some signs of, of growth and maturity. He's taken the ball to the basket with more force. Um, he's rebounding better. Um, he's been more aggressive in general with his just overall intensity. Um, and, you know, he's, he should be a sophomore in college. So I think we all want to see him develop as fast as possible. But the reality of the NBA is it takes time. You know, I think you can't be in a rush um, to be great. You got to go through the the struggles that players go through to get to the level of greatness that they end up at. And how you handle those struggles ultimately determines where you get to. And we're trying to help Jarris go through, you know, the growing pains of a young player, but still very big believers in him long term. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think I've tried to express it on the podcast, like the balance of winning while also trying to develop is a very hard thing to do. And, you know, with this roster already being pretty young as it is, it's it just takes time. And so I think that, Everybody that's kind of freaking out a little bit about the playing time should just be patient because it'll it'll happen naturally, and I think it's going to be great to see. But uh, speaking of a guy that has kind of followed that same path a little bit is Jalen Smith, a little bit up and down for him early in his career, but now he kind of feels like a guy that feel really good about him as your backup center, was even the starting power forward before you guys got Pascal Siakam when this team was playing some of their best basketball this season. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, do you see Jalen uh, – as a long-term piece with this team. And do you think he has starter potential? Yeah, I hope Jalen's here long-term. I mean, he's, like you mentioned, Alex, he's really stepped up this season. Uh, his his catch and shoot has been terrific. You know, that's a big part of his confidence to his game. Where last year, I think you saw that kind of was a little up and down. That impacted kind of his play. Uh, but when you see the ball go in the net and you're making shots, it just tends to elevate the rest of your game. And, We've seen that from Jalen this year. He's become, you know, a more impactful defender. He rebounds the ball well. Um, he's physical around the basket. And he's just growing just, you know, his maturity as, as a young player. You can see him developing out of the, like, I'm this young colt. You know, I'm developing into, you know, more of a I'm an adult. And I've got, you know, my man strength. And I've got more games under my belt. I understand what coach wants from me. I understand how to play with these other guys. And he's just getting more and more settled in. And, you know, the, the question of where they can start, I mean, I, as young as he is, there's no no ceiling to where, what he could become, whether he's a starting four or a starting five. Like, he has potential to be either one of those if he continues on this path. And um, hopefully he's with us, you know, here moving forward, too. But really happy for him. Great, great young man who um, loves being here in Indiana and has embraced the work. He spent all summer in our building. He didn't go – spend the summer on the beach in Miami or LA. He was in our building um, working every day. And that's just kind of the blue collar mentality he brings. And it's benefited him this season with how he's performed. The transformation of his body, I mean, from the off season, it, it was so evident that he got in great shape. I mean, everything from the, the three-point ball, his, his rebounding, I mean, just came back almost like twice the player. But, you know, one player who has also taken his game to the next level and really blossomed, it's Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, he signed a max contract in the offseason. He was named a starter in the All-Star game, nearly won All-Star MVP. I feel that he has truly exploded onto the scene and has put the star in All-Star and has shown that you very much can become a star in Indiana. However, despite even all of this fame, what can you say about him growing as the true leader and face of the franchise while still being so young? Yeah, the, the future is super bright with him, obviously. And he's at the age he's at doing what he's doing is truly, I mean, it's it's one of a kind. I mean, there's very few players in the league that are producing and doing what he's doing at that young of an age. Um, but he's in a, an elite group of players in our league right now that um, you can build around. And that's what we plan to do. And, you know, his growth in his game, you've seen it, you know, since we've traded for him. And I think you'll continue to see it. You know, Tyrese is the type of guy who's, He's never satisfied with where he's at. And I think that's evident last year. He's an all-star. 
has kind of a coming out party. You think, you know, most guys would feel pretty good about themselves. Well, he spent, you know, all summer working on his finishing, you know, working on how to handle traps, working on his physicality. And, you know, he came back and he took another jump. And I think there's areas of his game that he would tell you he wants to really address this offseason and try to continue to be better at that. And um, I, th I think that, you know, the best for Tyrese Tyleburton is still down the road. I don't think we've seen the best of what he's going to be as a player. And um, I, I truly believe, and I, I've told this to Tyrese, and, um, you know, I don't know if everybody, you know, in an organization agrees with me or not. I truly believe he can be one of the top players in the NBA for the next 10 years. And, you know, if, if he continues to, to develop like I know he's going to, I mean, the, the sky's the limit for where, where we can go as an organization and where he can go as a player. I mean, the fact that ESPN was talking about maybe him being a face of the league moving forward when LeBron and Kevin Durant retire, I think that says enough about just where he's at in his headspace, where he's at as a talent level, too. I think he's a, a very special player. And Pacer fans are going to watch him on a night-to-night -night basis realize how special he is. So that there's no doubt about it. I do agree with you there. I think he is going to be, and I think even earlier this season, he was a top five, top ten player in the league that led this team to the in-season tournament. So uh, that brings me to that point. We haven't really had a chance to talk with you about that, but what were your overall thoughts on the in-season tournament, and how do you think it was positive and negative towards your team? I think it was a great experience overall for us. Um, you know, our coaches, I thought, did a great job of, you know, making our players understand, hey, this is important. You know, this is a chance to win something um, that's never been presented to an NBA team before. And so our players bought into it. And, you know, those games that, you know, were those four, you know, you know in-season games that we played, I thought our guys brought it all, all those games. They brought – Intensely, they brought focus. They brought a, a little extra oomph to those games. And, you know, to, to go into Vegas and, you know, have the kind of the spotlight on us and to perform like we did in that Milwaukee game and then to be, you know, competitive for that Lakers game, we just couldn't quite, you know, we didn't shoot it very well that game, which, which hurt us. But um, really beneficial, positive experience. We have nothing but great things to say about our experience this year with that. And, um, I think our players would echo, you know, they're looking forward to the challenge again next year. And um, like I said, our coaches really, really got our guys bought into the value of that experience. I thought it was an unbelievable experience. And I thought it really helped put this Pacers team back on the map. I mean, just during that stretch, I felt like they were being talked about more on national television than it felt like the last few years combined. And, and you know, while we're recording this, it was just announced, you know, recently the Pacers acquired another national television game on ESPN uh, against the Pelicans, I believe. So that's really exciting. Uh, was there a moment maybe through that in-season tournament or just anything that you saw early on that really made that front office feel confident to say, you know what, let's push these chips forward. Let's go for it. Because when you see that in-season tournament backs against the wall, this Pacers team showed they more than belong. Yeah, I think the if there was a moment, I mean, I think it was a culmination of – the quality of teams that we beat along the way, you know, led you to believe that, you know, hey, we when our guys play well and they're really locked in, there's there's not a team we can't compete with. You know, whether we can beat some of these teams in a seven-game playoff series, you know, like to see what happens. You know, obviously we're still young and some of those teams are, are deep and, you know, championship ready. But we'd like to see ourselves have a chance to have that experience, you know. And I felt like Kevin and Kelly and Ted and I and our owner and, Coach Carlisle felt like let's 
let's try to help this team put us in position to be, you know, have that opportunity to play one of these teams in the playoffs and put ourselves in position to get that experience and to understand what the the playoff, you know, intensity is like, what it feels like to try and go on the road and win a game. And that helps with the growth and development of a, of a young group of players. And, um, you know, that kind of culmination of, you know, beating Boston and beating Milwaukee and, you know, you're like, dang, uh, these guys, you know, maybe we're, we've, we've, we've taken more of a step than we anticipated with this group. And let's, let's try and help this group um, realize it's not going to happen overnight, but let's try to, you know, take another step with this group and, you know, add in Pascal, we feel like add some champion ex- championship experience and a lot of playoff games under his belt and can be helpful to us and, you know, a play in or playoff setting and let's see what this group can do. Yeah, and I, and I will just say for people that maybe forgot, no Nimhard or Jalen Smith for that championship game against the Lakers, which I think those two would have been a big help with how the Lakers were defending Tyrese and the way Anthony Davis was being so, uh, in, uh, you know, impactful down in the paint. So I, I don't want to just blow that away, but I think that everything after that in-season tournament kind of led to what we've now seen as a little bit of a rivalry between the Pacers and the Bucks, And I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on, you know, these two teams kind of going back and forth a little bit with each other. Obviously the game ball situation was way blown out of proportion, but just the competitive nature you've seen between these two teams. What is your thoughts on this rivalry that's kind of brewing between these two central division foes? Well, I would say anytime you have a championship level team like the Bucks, who, you know, have respect for you, that's, that's good for our team. You know, they obviously, you know, we've had success against them so far this year in the regular season, you know, if we see them again, obviously in a playoff setting, it's a different environment. I'd love to see how our, our guys respond in that situation, but uh, it's it's a level of respect that I think our guys have gained from them. You know, they have guys that have won championships, and they look at us like, "Hey, I, we want to beat this team because you know we're kind of like an annoyance to them." I think a little bit this year, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> Excuse me, but um, but obviously, you know, our our guys get fired up to play these these really good teams and. Um, when we get fired up to play and shoot the ball well and play well, we've had some success. And, you know, the Milwaukee obviously being a division rival and playing them, you know, played them five times this year. Felt like we were playing them about every two weeks. I had a, I had a friend who's a coaching friend in college. He texted me one night and he said, I don't watch much NBA, but every time I turn on an NBA game, the Bucks and Pacers are playing. So um, kind of felt like for a while we were playing a, a a long month long playoff series against them. <laughs> so that just, you know, when you play teams over and over that closely together, you have little rifts that happen in an NBA game. It just carries over to the next one. And so I think that's where you saw some of the rivalry and, you know, things come out between us and them. And um, obviously they're a terrific team and a lot of great players and have an utmost respect for their organization. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where things go, but uh, they're obviously one of the teams that has a chance to win it all. And, Hopefully we're in in the mix to have a chance to to play a team like that in the playoffs. Yeah, and we won't quite call it a rivalry, but I think that this year is some some fun back and forth between those teams. I think that uh, overall, you know, NBA viewer enjoys a little bit of a rivalry. I think the Pacers haven't had one last few years, so it's created some fun. But you know, it's at the same point. Hey, like you mentioned, could be a whole other thing in the playoffs, but. You know, as talented as this Pacers team is, and they have won some big games this year. I mean, taking down Boston, taking down Milwaukee, taking down, you know, Philly, plenty of other teams. Um, You're not going to win every game because every team is talented in this league. But, you know, what's it like for this team when maybe they're coming off of the high of a big win and then come out perhaps 
perhaps maybe not at their best and drop a game to a team that, you know, we are far more talented than. Is that frustrating for this team and this front office? Yeah, I, I think I'd be lying if I didn't say, you know, we've had some losses this year that you'd love to have a chance to redo. But um, part of your maturing as a young player and a young team is learning to respect every team you play and knowing you have to get up to, to beat teams. Teams don't roll over against you in this league. And, you know, and the more we had success early in the year, the more we became a bigger game for teams uh, when we played them. So um, teams got up to play against us and, you know, we didn't always match that intensity. And that's where, you know, we, we dropped a few games that we'd love to have back, but that's the NBA. I mean, every, there's good players on every team. There's great coaches coaching all these teams. And if you don't come to play every night, um, you're going to get beat. And it doesn't matter what the name on the jersey says. Um, it takes a full out, you know, effort every single night to win games in this league. And I think our team, you know, has learned some hard lessons with that. And we've just got to, you know, learn from it and execute the next time we have opportunities to, you know, take care of business and, and not drop some of these games that you regret later on. Yeah, and I'm kind of curious from your perspective, I mean, what areas of concern or weakness do you see with this team as currently constructed and, you know, something you'd like to see that, they can maybe fix the final 20 plus games of the season? Well, I would say, you know, if you were to ask our coaches that, I mean, I think some of it is continuing to improve the defensive component of things. Um, you know, we've had some players have some big nights against us, which happens to every NBA team. Uh, but I think showing up some of our defense and we've made strides with that. I really think, you know, there is progress being made on that end. And as we get into more playoff level basketball, the game tends to slow down a little bit. And, you know, can we continue to play at the pace we play at in these big games that, you know, whether it's a play-in or a playoff series, can we play at that same pace and still be effective? Um, but I think, you know, some of us are just our young guys. And I go back to the question you just asked me is, you know, learning to take care of business every single night. Just being, you know, there's some nights that you just got to have a professional win. You know, there's games that you need to win. Whatever it takes, it's not going to be pretty some nights. You may, you know, go beat Boston and have, you know, make 19 threes and everything's great, but then you got to go, you know, beat a team that's below you in the standings. And sometimes it's, it's ugly and it's not pretty. And you, you got to embrace those games. And that's where we got to embrace those types of games down the stretch. Cause there's going to be more of those. There's, there's teams that are playing for a lot these last 26 games. And um, they're not going to let you do some of the things you were able to do early in the year. And we got to adapt to it. And um, like I said, and, you know, really embrace the ugliness of winning some of these NBA games down the stretch. I think it's a good point because I, I think when we see a Milwaukee or a Boston on, on the schedule, it feels like the Pacers absolutely get up for that game every single time. But yeah, 82 game season, technically this one could be 83, you know, for us it will be, uh, you know, it's, it's a long season. So it, it definitely is tough. But when you built this team, you built this team to the strengths of Tyrese Halliburton, at least from, you know, from an offensive standpoint. And I, I felt that you guys did a master job. You've exceeded expectations. Did you ever Find yourself, you know, maybe this season in awe of just what this offense could be because it has been historic. Sure. I think you got to give credit. Obviously, Tyrese is the engine, but in our coaches, Coach Carlisle is just a, a brilliant offensive tactician. I mean, it's it's really insane how smart he is when it comes to, you know, some of the things that he puts together for this team. And, you know, to his credit, you know, he and his coaches have given Tyrese a lot of rope and they trust him and Rightfully so, Tyrese is a savant on the floor. We all see it. I mean, he 
he knows what all nine guy nine players on the bench on the court are doing. He knows what everybody on the bench is saying. I mean, he's just he his awareness of what's going on is a special gift that he that he possesses. And to watch our offense when it's really clicking and really humming is is just a joy. And I think our fans and you guys when those nights where the ball is moving, we're playing fast and you know, we're getting open shots and it's it's really it's it's a fun thing to see. I, I go and watch, you know, some of these other NBA teams and even college games um, and the quality of shots that teams get. Sometimes we take it for granted, I think, with the quality of shots we get. So sometimes we don't make shots, but the quality of looks that we tend to get with Tyrese running our offense and, you know, Rick, you know, orchestrating all this is really fantastic. And I think that's something we, you know, we can't take for granted because what Tyrese does to make other people better and elevate the confidence in people around him is what makes our team go. And uh, the nights we're, we're shooting it and the ball is moving. It is, it's fun of basketball team for me to watch. And this is my 20th season in the NBA. It's the most joyous team for me to watch offensively when things are humming. Yeah. They've been awesome when they're, when they're humming, they are a tough, tough team to beat. We mean, even if they're putting up only 135 points a game, I mean, Hey, uh, we'll take it. I mean, we've seen 157 against the Hawks. It was pretty wild to see that night. Uh, the insane shooting from Buddy Hield in that game was was fantastic. But uh, obviously with Buddy's departure, that does leave a hole on the bench. You guys go out and got Doug McDermott to kind of fill that void. But as he's still kind of getting himself reacclimated with things, and then you got a rookie in Ben Shepard who has really stepped up and, and kind of taken advantage of those opportunities to bring that next level of energy. Uh, you talk about wanting to be a better defensive team like, the growth that we've seen just from the beginning of the year to now with Ben Shepard's defense, how special do you think he can be for this team moving forward? You know, he does a lot of the same things that Aaron does. I mean, he, he likes being the guy that just playing all out all the time. Like he knows that's how he survives and how he impacts a game. And he's not into looking cool or trying to, you know, do things half speed. He's, he's like, I'm giving you every ounce of effort that I have in this body every second I'm on the floor. And that's in an 82-game season. There's nights where the other night in Toronto was the perfect example of that. I mean, we were running on fumes. I mean, we had guys out. And, I mean, we were just – I looked over the bench one time, and there was more coaches and players sitting over there. And I'm like, holy cow, how are we going to – how do we grind this thing out? And then, you know, Ben makes, you know, a couple of huge shots, and he makes a great defensive stand. And just it just kind of lifts some tired legs when they see what he's doing. And, um, you know, if that, if his energy gives you two wins or three more wins on the season, holy cow, talk about a huge boost for a team in an NBA season. And to have a rookie that's providing that, who's still figuring everything out is, you know, really, it's encouraging for us. You know, I think he's, he's had moments where he struggled shooting the ball and he's knocks in two huge threes in the fourth quarter in Toronto. He's, he's not afraid to take a big shot. And I love that quality about him. And he just never stops competing. I mean, he never stops competing. And um, that's a truly a hard quality to find. And a, and a pro basketball player who's got to play for seven months straight and playing 15 to 16 games a month. Like, there's just some nights where you're just, I just don't want to do this tonight. But Ben, ben and Aaron just never have those nights. And um, those help you get through some tough stretches like we had the other night in Toronto. I love it. And behind closed doors, I mean, what is the vibe of this group of players and just overall for this franchise as it relates to that common goal of getting back to the playoffs? 
How bad does this group want it? I think they really want it. I think they feel like we've done a lot of heavy work to put us in this position where we're at now. We're obviously in a, a race for the sixth spot or, you know, if we get hot or teams above us get cooled off, maybe we can get higher. But we realize this is every game is of massive importance moving down the stretch here. And this team, you know, doesn't want to throw all the hard work they put into the to the side. They they're all in on trying to make this a great, you know, stretch run for us and seeing where we can get, you know, can we get into a position where we, we're, we're not in the play-in, you know, or um, can we get higher than the sixth seed? I think their goals are high. You know, they're not content with what we've done so far. They're they're not sitting back saying, okay, we've done enough. We've proven we're a little better than last year. I'd, I'd be shocked if the team, you know, turns and decides to just kind of coast through these last 26 games. I think they feel like they've done a lot of hard work to put themselves in the spot we're at and they want to finish the job. Absolutely, Chad. Well, you can go ahead and take a breather now because you are going to be taking off the hot seat. That's going to be it for us in terms of all the Pacers questions. But I do want to wrap it up by asking you a fun question because, you know, I put a list out on on Twitter of like places to go downtown for All-Star Weekend. And I, I got a lot of pushback on how crappy my list was by people. So I'm just curious, what are your top three places to go to in Indianapolis food-wise, Chad? Oh, wow. I really like um, I don't veer too far from um, our practice facility. I like the agave and rye, the Mexican place, which is mm -hmm. right, you know, next to our practice facility. Um, I like Harry and Izzy's. We go there a lot with draft prospects. Uh, that, that's pretty st staple for me. Um, boy, a third one. Capitol Grill is, is pretty tough to beat, too, mm -hmm. for uh, a good meal. But to be honest, I'm a pretty uh, simple eater. You know, I've got three kids, so I'm doing a lot of Chick-fil-A and, you know, places like that, right? I don't get, you know, many nights out with, with really nice meals. Um, uh, those are pretty rare for me, but those would probably be the three that pop into my head initially. Well, I, I got to know, what's your Chick-fil-A order? Oh, gosh, I, I do the grilled nuggets. Um, okay. I'm a sucker for the grilled nuggets, yeah. I, I don't like the regular, the regular nuggets. I like the grilled ones. Okay. The real question is, what sauce are you going with? Oh, I got to go with the honey mustard for me. Okay. Uh, honey right. mustard, yeah. I mean, they, I they got a wide array. They, they got some good stuff, so I don't know where you're going with that. This is a healthy answer. Holly, I don't like it. Chick-fil-A, a lot of good options. You, you get the kale crunch instead of the fries? No, I do the fries. Okay. I'm a sucker for those. Waffle fries are good there. Yeah. Yeah. They're always salted right, and those are good in Chick-fil-A sauce. I, that's my go-to. Um, oh, yeah. I, Spicy chicken sandwich with some ranch on it. It's hard to beat that. That's what I usually do. Uh, it, it, I, yeah. I'm a sucker for some Chick-fil-A, Chad. I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, honestly, like, uh, I think I'd rather go there than the three places you mentioned for your place to stay. <laughs> I've, I've got a spot up here in uh, Carmel Westfield that we go to a lot called Crafters. Um, that's got a really good menu, too, for just kind of casual food. We, go, we do a bunch of takeout there, and um, that's a really good spot for us, too. Love it. Find, well, a, find a menu that has something that keeps all three kids happy is is not easy. <laughs> As you guys will find out in time, I'm sure. That's that's the tough challenge right there. So, uh, you know, hey, but my, my daughter's not old enough money. to really be uh, asking. We're just kind of giving her food. So, you know, she doesn't complain <laughs> too much. But uh, I'll remember that quote down the line, and I'm sure it will be challenging. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the pickiness yeah, will come. We, yeah, we want to be respectful of your time. We appreciate everything, you know, so you guys uh, 
For you guys weren't aware, Chad's battle in the, the flu game, he could have said that he was doubtful. He showed up. We appreciate that, and it is always a pleasure having you back on Set the Pace. I, I try to be an 82-game guy. Well, you're trying hey, to get that, that max are. contract, so we know you got to meet the 65-game threshold. And uh, I will say, you know, <laughs> playing through this sickness was a little bit more of an effort than we saw in the All-Star game on Sunday night. That's true. <laughs> I mean, any, any way they can fix that? I mean, really? Oh, man, you know, that's tough. You know, the players are, you know, obviously you don't want to have any injuries in a, in a setting like that, but you want to put on a good show for the fans. It's I don't know the answer to it, to be honest with you. Um, you know, obviously times have changed from when I was growing up, the, those all-star games were pretty competitive. You had little individual rivalries, mm -hmm. you know, which I think one thing that's different today is most of these guys in the NBA, when they get to the NBA, they, they've known these other guys they're playing against for the most part. They've played AE with them. They've played USA basketball with them. They've maybe they've played in college with them. They've played all-star events. So, you know, it used to be in like the, you know, 70s and 80s and even the 90s, like you got to the NBA, you didn't know who this other guy was, but you wanted to go at him. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, now you've got, there's more relationships built in when guys get to the NBA and there's less little rivalries and less little like, you know, tiffs between players that create like a little edge in a, an all-star setting. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's more of a friendly banter than, I think it used to be, which kind of carries out onto the court too. Yeah. Not, you're not going to you're not going to prevent that. That's just the nature of you know youth basketball in our country now. Is you know you may grow up in Indianapolis and there may be a great player in Las Vegas um, that you you you'll go to two camps with them and then you'll spend you'll play an AU event with them. Then you're on a USA basketball team with them and you you'll you'll know them just as well as your high school teammates back in Indiana. And so. Um, it's hard to develop these little rivalries between players like we used to have. No, I totally agree. It's it's uh, it's just one of those things. I'm, everybody complains about it, but I don't really think there's a great way to change it. Uh, I heard Zach Lowe talk about the world versus Team USA or Team USA versus the world, and I thought that could be interesting. There are a lot of international players that could be uh, eligible for an All Star game, so that that wouldn't be the worst idea. But you know, I say just get Dylan Brooks and Patrick Beverly out there, and I think something crazy could happen, you know? Maybe we do, like, dogs versus underdogs. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Not yeah. a bad idea. I think mean, we don't want to have any injuries, but, you know. Exactly, exactly. So, so either way, we did get to see the highest-scoring All-Star uh, game, you know, in NBA history. You know, 211 points for, for the East, I believe it was. So, hey, at least uh, – at least the scoring, you know, there, there wasn't a lack thereof. But I think that we, we do like to see a little bit more defense. But either way, I just want to give, uh, you know, the Pacers and Indiana their props. Put on a great all-star weekend. Chad, I know, uh, you know, you mentioned offline is very eventful. So and we're keeping you up late. So, hey, go out there, get some rest. We really appreciate you. And we look forward to one day having you back on. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. And I'd be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to Rick Fuse and Mel Raines, Todd Taylor. Um, from our business side for all the work Karen Atkinson from our staff like our staff on down just did so much behind the scenes work all the way down to Zach Eagle Cole Petrus our, our equipment guys we had so many people step up and put in some massively long hours just to make it be such a successful showing for our city and our organization so I'd, you know major major thank you to all the people that helped make it such a great weekend Class act, Chad. Chick fil A on us one day. We got you. All right. I'll, 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 why don't you guys just uh, uh, DoorDash me some an order? That, that sounds fair. <laughs>
We can do yeah. that. Though. All right, fine. You can pay for that one since you're the one giving up free Chick Fil A. It's on me. All right, no one needs to miss two free throws or anything. This this one's on the house. But, hey, thanks a lot, Chad. Thanks, guys.